To truck it, I'm Junior here with Michael Vincent, the dude. What's up, man? Hey, good Friday afternoon, everybody. From the heart of Freight Alley. Did you fall out of bed last night from that earthquake? I noticed your boots back on. Yeah, yeah, I did. I fell out and uh, and, and promptly rebroke my foot. Did you? Uh, <laughs> which is terrible. You're finally gonna get that taken care of pretty soon. I you did yeah, going for surgery. Date, finally, for yeah. those of you concerned, Gotta get it done. This gentleman has been in this boot for like a month now. Was, uh, it's it's, it's been over year. a couple months. I've been in it for yeah, a while, a long time. Yeah, well, I've been trying to avoid surgery, and, and it didn't work. So. The news this morning was sort of making a big deal about this earthquake. I didn't feel it either. I felt my kids come into bed in the morning. But apparently there's two hundred and there's been 289 earthquakes here in Tennessee in the past 365 days. Most, like, very small. Nothing like, uh, you know, California where you might actually feel them. Yeah, the one last night was 2.6. That was, 2. like, 6. the largest ever. <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Didn't 2. feel 2.5 on uh, the 17th of this month. Didn't even <laughs> knock off uh, a glass. By the way... Are your girls watching Encanto? So yes. This came out like right at the end of the holiday season, right at the end of like Christmas, right before Christmas. I remember Probably we watched watching it, it in, right this second. They're watching that? it right this Probably. second. That obsessed with it. <laughs> yes. Well, here's what shocked me though, because when my kids were like really into Let It Go, like yeah. that song was ubiquitous. You heard it everywhere. You heard it in grocery stores. There was music and elevators. Yeah. Well, apparently, we don't talk about Bruno, which is the song. And if you have kids, you probably know this song from Encanto. It reached number four on the Billboard Top 100 list. It's had more than 29 million streams, more than 8,000 downloads sold, which, um, you know, that goes to show how far the music industry's gone down. But why would you at Spotify? Let it go, though. (laughs) It only reached number five on the Top 100 in April 2014. And the only Disney song that's done better is that banger from Aladdin, A Whole New World, which hit number one in 1993. Yeah, that's surprised? crazy. I'm, I'm surprised because I don't, I don't. It's not that catchy to me. Yeah, of a tune. I, yeah, my boys aren't into it either. Maybe it's more of a, a girl thing. I, don't I know. guess I don't we'll know. find out. We well, don't talk anyways. about Bruno though. I'll tell you that. Well, we need to talk about the supply chain. We need to talk about a lot of things on today's show. We're going to be talking to Port X Logistics' Brian Kempis. He's going to help us answer who's responsible for this mess at the ports, right? He's going to also let us know if conditions are improving, if things got better just because it's 2022. Spoiler, they probably have not. (laughs) Operation Lifesaver is going to be on. They're celebrating 50 years of education around rail crossings, truck crossing rails, people crossing rails, all sorts of stuff. They have some new PSAs for us. Rachel will join us. That'll be good. And Aneste is going to tell us more about uh, renewable diesel and what's going on. In that space. Plus, we got all your news. We got good news, bad news. We got a brand new supply chain song from you and John Brewer. Oh, yeah, John Brewer the wrote show. the lyrics. Beautiful song. All right, let's get to business. Let's start by tipping the band. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in recent years, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating more than $2 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics experts at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. Headlines. All right, what's going on in the world today? Well, this one, this isn't good news at all. U.S. to close borders to unvaccinated Canadian and Mexican truckers oh, on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. A lot of us holding out hope that um, logic would prevail, right? And this would not come to fruition. Unfortunately, it is. Nate Tabak on FreightWaves.com, he has reports, and it says the U.S. will close its borders to those unvaccinated and only partially vaccinated, yeah. too. So if you have just one shot, they're not going to count you. You're not getting in. you got to at least have a double dose in your arm. 
Yeah. No Canadian bo- you, do, you don't have to boost yet, though? Do I? I mean, no, these guys. They're just, just, I wonder if the boost is... is also, I think you just need two, but okay. so par, but par, if you just have one, that's not um, that's not counting. Actually, yeah. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said in a statement, these updated travel requirements reflect the Biden-Harris administration's commitment to protecting public health while, safety, while safely facilitating the cross-border trade and travel that is critical to our economy. I don't know. I, don't know. I buy half of that. The restrictions which apply to all foreign essential workers had been expected since U.S. officials announced them in October. Mm-hmm. They follow a similar, similar rule that took effect at the Canadian border last Saturday. The border COVID-18 vaccine mandates are, are coming into force despite pushback from truck industry, obviously. COVID-18? And There's an 18 now, too? I, well, it says COVID-18 right I'm, here. <laughs> it's probably supposed to be COVID-19. But 18, though. All right, I'm going to go with 19. I like to, I'm a conservative. I'll go 18. Uh, but anyways, 160,000 truckers regularly crossing the border. 75 percent of them are Canadian, and yeah. uh, looks like disruption is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? The 19 in COVID 19. That's how long this has been with us. The 19 is the year it was discovered. So 2019. That's why it's COVID 19. Yeah. COVID 18 would have been found in 2018. Well, capacity is already significantly tightened. There's been huge increases in the spot market. This is only going to add. Additional pressure. I mean, even a 5% drop in capacity can be huge. Oh, yeah. At the border, at the ports, anywhere. And when you're saying 25% who are not vaccinated, yeah, could be trouble. Yeah, could be, could be, could be trouble on the border. I think there's trouble on the border, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, big box warehouses. So this is another story that we were hearing a lot last year was about big, big box warehouses, right? Resiliency. Yeah. That was supposed to be the word this year, resiliency and supply chain. Well, a lot of companies' answer to resiliency is to move a lot of their goods here on shore. Now, we're not completely onshoring and building products here, but having in warehouses creating a lot of demand. Big box warehouse lease activity set that record in 2021. Mark Solomon has a great report on this. Um, it said that company signed a record 57 U.S. warehouse leases of 1 million or more square feet in 2021. That's up 19% from 2020 levels. So we're actually, we're wow. talking about massive warehouses here yes. in the first place, right? Yeah. 57 of, them, 57 of them have been produced in the past year, by according to CBRE Group. Chicago, they had the strongest year of industrial activity in its history. It led all markets with 12 transactions totaling 12 million um, uh, square feet. Yeah, and there's so much activity that's going on. These mega deals are spilling into markets like Greenville and Spartanburg that are coming more and more common places. These natural corridors like uh, Virginia, Los Angeles, New Jersey, Atlanta, Baltimore, they start to become, you know, so congested with these things, right? The space gets eaten up, spilling over into other markets. So all that demand is their space. Well, John Morris, who leads CBRE's America's industrial logistics business, he said the market has just enough product to meet current demand, but that mega products are becoming fewer and far between due to that surging demand, labor shortages, and certain markets don't have land. So not only do you have to secure this land, pay the big money to, to get it, then you got to fill these things up, too. you got to fill these up with people. Yeah, find the people to build them, too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, now, labor, labor everywhere. You all may have heard, uh, actually, last week was like the great American sick out. I don't know if you heard this, but 9 million Americans were either out sick with COVID or caring for someone with COVID. Oh, yeah. You and I myself were both out last week for I similar situations. My whole family like, was out. Yeah. Well, the good news is the Postal Service has announced that you can get those at-home tests, right? You can go sign up for those at-home tests now. But can the Postal Service deliver on getting those to you in a timely fashion. Well, Jack DeLeo, he reports, nothing ever comes for free. Free food samples, credit appraisals, tarot card readings, all of them incur costs somewhere down the line. <laughs> what happened to Jack at the tarot card reader? I don't know. Jack, slap me. What bitter. happened, He's what bitter happened bitter to the tarot card reader? He's bitter about something. All right, well, that includes COVID-19 tests. On Tuesday, the White House Press Secretary Jen Paskey, she confirmed that the U.S. government had launched the website to deliver these tests. You can go on there. I think it's four per yeah. household. Uh, but... They're going to be coming to us 
slowly. They are, but according to uh, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, the answer is they're going to get here, man. 650,000 yeah. women and men of the United States Postal Service are ready to deliver these to you. So they're coming. Okay. But four per household? Only four per household. So that's his quote from him. So what? DeJoy yeah. said 650,000 men and yeah. women of the United States Postal Service are ready to deliver these. That's right. They've been working closely with the administration and will be prepared. But the Biden administration has acknowledged that the tests may not arrive with the speed Postal Service customers are used to, right? So according to the White House, applicants shouldn't expect to see their tests delivered within 7 to 12 days and not until the end of January. So right now, if you're looking for those tests, you're trying to get yourself back to work or your kid back in school you're still going to have to wait. You're still going to have to go out there and try and uh, fend for yourself. There's being sent first class, too, which usually is much quicker. It's in one to five days, but they're looking at self to seven to 12 days because so many of these are going to be sent out. The American Postal Service Union, they're not immune from that great American sick out either. No. There's 19,200 of those workers this week who were sick or quarantining. It's, it's unbelievable the amount that people that are being sick. out. And those, those tests, you can't find them, dude. Yeah. They're looking for them last week, you can't find them. Well, I mean, look, I think with, with Omicron and with, with yeah. these tests surging and with last week, with uh, so many of us just being yeah. impacted one way or another, and yeah. not that they've been huge impacts, they've actually been, like, for a lot of us, just huge inconveniences in the past right. week with all this testing and stuff, but if you thought this year was going to be easier in supply chain and society in general with COVID, well, you're in for a surprise. Let's get to our first guest, though. He's been teaching us all about renewable transportation, what's going on in renewables in 2022, what's cool with renewable diesel. It's Matt uh, Lewick. He's the technical manager at Neste Renewables, and uh, he's here with us now. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Yeah, good to see you guys, and thanks for getting the Aladdin song stuck in my head. Oh, yeah. It's a, well, it is a whole new world. You know, you have been in the world of diesel technicians for over 15 years. So I'm just really curious. What's something about a diesel technician that we wouldn't know, that your common uh, man wouldn't know? That, wait, that a tech, that someone wouldn't know about a technician? Yeah, like about what you do. Yeah. What's something that, that's, that, that's really cool that you do that we wouldn't know? Um, well, so I guess my role at Neste, um, I, I do a lot of interaction with the, with the big engine OEMs, right? So I get to work very closely with the engine manufacturers, with the engine and the truck producers and and I uh, kind of get on the technical side of the industry there, which is, it's really cool to see what goes on behind the scenes, I think. Very, very cool. And just to set the table here, for those who may have missed uh, our last episode where we talked about this, what's the difference between uh, renewable diesel and biodiesel? Good question. We get this a lot. Um, so they're both made from the same stuff, right? You're going to use these waste, um, waste and residues, fats and oils and things like that. But the way the process is differently, so you get kind of into the nerdy chemistry side of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can run a diesel engine on both of them, but a renewable diesel is a hydrocarbon, just like a fossil diesel from the ground is a hydrocarbon, whereas a uh, biodiesel molecule is technically not, right, because it's got oxygen and the chemical makeup is a little different. So uh, at the end of the day, you can run renewable diesel pure 100% in your engine without having to blend it, whereas a biodiesel really, to meet those OEM requirements, needs to be cut with anywhere from 80 to 95% fossil diesel. Um, so you're not you know, violating warranties and, and other things like that. Wow. So the energy density in the renewable diesel is, is much higher than the biodiesel, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it's closer to, to fossil diesel than biodiesel, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So what about the cost differences between these two? Uh, also a good question. So um, around the country, there are different states that have these carbon programs in place. You, know, you may have heard California's low carbon fuel standard or Oregon's clean fuels program. Those are... Uh, those. Programs are in place to help producers like us um, make it more economical to make the fuel. It does cost more to make it. If you're in a state like that where those programs are in place, you're, you're really going to be on par with the fossil diesel fuel, right? There's not these, these big premiums. 
Um, the rest of the U.S., there's other states that are starting to enact these types of legislation. So you'll see the fuel move out of those areas. Um, so on a cost per gallon basis, you're, you're going to be about on par on the West Coast. Um, but then there's some other benefits down the road when it comes to maintenance and other things where you could, you're actually going to make up some money on the back end. You know, Matt, when making these decisions, sure, there's some altruism with the environment, but companies still have to, look, there's, there's a lot of choice out there. They have to consider yeah. the bottom line. They have to consider those costs. What, what kind of savings have your customers seen after switching to uh, something like the Neste My Renewable Diesel product? Yes. Yeah, so um, right off the bat, the fuel is a lot cleaner. Like when a customer receives it, you'll notice it's clear. It looks like water. It doesn't have an odor. It doesn't, it doesn't smell, which means it's also very pure. It's not going to create deposits in engines and it's going to burn cleaner. So it's going to make less soot and less particulate matter. So um, think about when fuel goes into an engine, you're creating soot. That soot's going to go through an EGR system, out through a DPF. And if you can cut down maintenance on those, you're going to save money for your fleet. Um, you're also going to have less oil contamination in your oil pans. So just a couple anecdotes. We've got a customer called Titan Freight Systems up in Oregon. They have saved two cents per mile um, in their internal calculations hmm. because they've reduced the DPF maintenance costs, not having to do regens as much. Um, by extending their oil change intervals, they've cut their fluid costs by 78%, which is crazy. Um, another company called Cox Petroleum, they, in a 45-truck fleet, they cut their maintenance costs by 90%. They save themselves $30,000 a year just by making a switch to a cleaner fuel that's not going to have as many negative impacts on, on the hardware in their trucks. I find that interesting. A petroleum company is using this to power their own trucks. That's pretty cool. Compare this, though, to, awesome. to other alternatives, as Duner mentioned. There's other alternatives out there you can look at, like natural gas, hydrogen, electric. Can you compare it to those? Yeah, you know, those guys, or those guys, us, all of us in the alternative fuel space are pushing toward the same goal, right? We're here to, like Neste specifically, our goal is to um, create a healthier planet for our children, right? We're in the business of fighting climate change, just like these other companies are. Um, all those are trying to offset some of that fossil diesel consumption with some other alternative. And they each have their place. You know, certain natural gas trucks may not have the, as high of a peak power as a, a diesel engine or um, electric, you know, when they come out, they may have some range issues, but they all have their home. I think the biggest benefit that renewable diesel has is that it is one, it's a pure drop in, which means you don't have to do the blending. Right. But also it's available right now. Um, you don't have to wait for those technologies to become viable, whether it's charging networks or infrastructure for, you know, gas compression and things. And I think really the even bigger, bigger point is there's no extra investment. You know, you're not buying a new CNG truck or you're not buying an electric truck and then having to find charging stations. You, you don't even have to drain your fuel of the or your tank of the fossil fuel that's in there right now to run renewable diesel. You just put it on top. And as you start putting more and more renewable diesel in, it just blends up. And within a couple of tank fills, you're running on pure RD. So it, it, it is as simple as putting the clear fuel in your tank and making a difference tomorrow rather than trying to wait for everything else to catch up to the goals you want to meet. Right. Yeah, no, this is a big issue, too, that I know the, the port trucking community is sure. dealing with because of a lot of the yeah. laws by ports now. We have to have X amount of um, zero emissions vehicles, right? And a lot, and when the law comes into effect, what was it uh, 2025, 2026? Yeah, like some yeah, of the yeah. ports. The infrastructure just doesn't seem like it's there yet. So solutions right. that actually exist, like you mentioned, that work within the existing infrastructure are going to become huge in the space, especially as those regulatory timelines yeah. um, compress and become much shorter. I mean, it's, it is 2022. This is not a long timeline. No, it's not a long timeline. And when you talk about the fact that you can take this fuel and just start topping off your tank now, right? You don't have to clean out the system or do any of that kind of stuff. So th when you talk about infrastructure, this could potentially just go out to diesel stations and start mixing in the tanks in the ground right now, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Neste, we're building a card lock network up and down the West Coast. You know, stations that were servicing with diesel fuel in the past, fossil diesel fuel in the past, um, you can now purchase renewable diesel fuel. Those are the same underground tanks, right? It's yeah. the same pumps. It's the same lines. It's the same filters. It's just a different liquid running through it. Um, you didn't have to do any work to make the change, even on the on the fueling station side, right? It's it's a liquid hydrocarbon, just like the, the fossil diesel that everyone's been used to for a hundred years now. Wow. It's well, pretty cool. Hey, you pretty got cool. me, Matt. How do people learn more, though? Where do we where do we send them to? Uh, best best resource probably for us would be go to our website, nestemy.com. That's N-E-S-T-E-M-Y. Um, there it's going to take you to our U.S.-based website where you can find out where to get the fuel. There's a lot of info you can get on you know how the fuel is made, what it's made from, things like that. Um, there's actually even a really cool greenhouse gas calculator on there where you can kind of use the play with the sliders and tell it how many gallons per year you run on fossil diesel. And it'll tell you immediately, here's going to be your, your environmental impact, right? Here's your greenhouse gas reduction you would make overnight just by making this switch. So yeah, com. you can get in touch with us. Um, pretty much find out anything you need. Yeah, that's Very like cool. a, it's like Candy Crush Saga for fuel, for fuel nerds. Just <laughs> playing with those sliders <laughs> and everything. Well, hey, Matt, thank, thanks so uh, much. We appreciate your time today. Um, good seeing you guys. Right on. Thanks, thanks. Matt. Speaking at uh, ports and ground zero for disruption and congestion and all the issues that are hampering supply chains, we have a man who knows plenty about that. It's Brian Kempesty, founder at Port X Logistics. And you've had any hope that last year, you know, I'm surprised even as hair left, he hasn't pulled it all out after, after last year. And I think so many people thought like, oh, it's 2022. It's got to be better this year. And I think that a lot of us are starting to think that this year might be the worst of it that we've seen. It might be. It might not, it's not going to get better this year. We're going to see the worst of it this year. Yeah. We're in the early innings. Well, Brian, thanks for joining us today. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get ready for 2022. Intro, We're so beat down, man. We need this to end. You're like, hey, if you had any hope, let me tell you what. Brian's here to dash Brian's it. Brian's here to dash it. <laughs> he's here to dash it. Hey, Brian, are you here to dash our hope? <laughs> no, I've got good news. Oh, perfect. Oh, okay, good. Excellent. Well, let's start positive then, Brian. For what, yeah. what is, uh, what's on your mind, and why are you feeling so positive? Well, I, I think, um, you know, in the new year here, we've got uh, – uh, a little bit of clearing uh, at some of the ports on the West Coast specifically. Um, the charters that I've been pounding the table on that were a bad idea, um, everybody else is seeing that they were a bad idea too. <laughs> and uh, we're starting to see the clear of those charter vessels. And that means a return to somewhat normalcy. Yeah, I saw it. Was it uh, Ferreira put out that uh, that uh, post of the Walmart charter vessel that was like at anchor loitering for like 14 days? Wow. <laughs> so that, that didn't work too well. <laughs> Well, some some of them were there for sixty days, right? Yeah, and yeah. it was unintended unintended consequences. Where do you return the empties? The chassis got um, filled up. Uh, all the truckers' yards got filled up. So people saw the unintended consequences and cost after the fact, and they're like, "That that wasn't a very good idea. I don't think we should do that again." So, like, this whole thing's disjointed, though, and I'm glad that, that you know, the supply chains are learning and they're adapting and, you know, they tried things in 2021. If they didn't work, it's good to see them not return to them, like some of those charters for some companies, as you mentioned. But a lot of those problems still exist, right? The lack of chassis, mm. the issues yeah. with uh, appointments, outdated technology of the port, upset port truckers, upset port workers, empty return slots. Who is really responsible for all of this? And has any progress been made in, in those areas? Absolutely zero. So we've we've gotten rid of some of the charter. We're not making much progress. And one of the things that that I did want to talk about, and I'm going to be talking to a lot of clients about, is how do you get all of the stakeholders to the table? 
And that means, so the steamship lines bring the cargo over from, from Asia or overseas. Um, but they hire the terminals and the terminals maintain the chassis. And then it goes to the drivers, uh, the drayage drivers. Um, and really at the end of the day, um, the consumer or, or the BCO ends up paying for all these additional charges, like uh, the additional chassis days, the additional yard storage days, per diem, demurrage. So it would be nice if we could get a meeting set up, you know, with people's supply chain. So if you're a big BCO, if you can bring your steamship lines to the table, you can bring the terminal to the table, you can bring your trucker to the table, and everybody can collaborate to talk about, hey, what is the best solution? How can we all individually make improvements and work better together, um, you know, we could fix some of these supply chain issues. But really right now, everybody's saying, hey, not, that's not my job, uh, rather than working together to make this a, a, a more cohesive supply chain. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that, Brian. And everybody's going, it's their fault, right? Yeah. Everybody's doing exactly. that, type, that type of thing. But the so the steamship lines, though, why why aren't they taking responsibility or why isn't the pressure coming down on them to do it? They're the ones that are utilizing those terminals that are that are not getting, you know, that are not running efficiently enough. Why isn't the pressure coming through that valve? Well, that's a good point. And I don't want to, you know, like I'll 100 percent point the fingers at the steamship lines, but they're making billions of dollars dumping the cargo at the terminals and they're, they're just leaving, going back to get more, more cargo and more money. And, um, you know, they hire the terminals, the terminals maintain the chassis. So they need to step up to the plate um, and take some responsibility for the throughput. And, and we've seen a little bit of that CMA uh, bought the Phoenix Marine terminal um, in LA Long Beach, but uh, we need more of that. We need more collaboration. We need more responsibility um, so hopefully we see some more of that in 2022. Well, Brian, I mean, we've identified so many of the issues and 2021 was a, a year of just cataloging the litany of issues going on in supply chain. And I think we've identified them, but what about some recommendations for making this process better? What are some solutions we can look towards in the early period of Q1 and, and things that may make a longer term impact as well? Well, some of the things we're doing um, on our asset side is we're actually purchasing more chassis so we can be um, a little bit more nimble and a little bit more flexible. Um, but again, it goes back to, you know, if, if you could get more parties to the table, I've had lots of meetings with BCOs. I've had meetings with freight forwarders. Um, you know, we've done port tours, but I've never had a meeting where you've had the steamship line, a terminal, a trucker and a BCO all sit at the table together and say, how can we make this better? Um, so, you know, that's my wish for 2022 is, is maybe we see a little bit more of that collaboration where everybody sits down and says, how do we make this better? And we work together rather than uh, not my problem. Yeah, Brian, it seems to me that there's a couple issues that are here, and, and I like your opinion on those. Is One, is is it really the fact that the infrastructure of, of the ports uh, keeps it from being too much? There's not enough competition there to force people to be that efficient, right? I mean, where else are you going to go, right? You can't just throw up another port. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and two, because it's so fragmented, is there just not one entity that's big enough to keep this pressure going beyond this if it does get cleaned up? Uh, no. Well, and a lot of these steamship lines, right? They're not even U.S.-based companies. So, like, what is their incentive to to want to, you know, do better? They don't really yeah. have an incentive. The U.S. government can't put too much pressure on them. Um, 
And, you know, the other thing you, you mentioned infrastructure, like LA Long Beach, for example, there's no more land, like there, there's nowhere to go. So you have to figure out how to operate more efficiently. And, you know, we've got the labor issues. Um, can we, are we allowed to automate more in the, the negotiations with labor? So all those things, you know, there's not enough land. Um, can we automate like the rest of the world? Um, you know, those are, those are issues that are headwinds that, you know, we're going to see this year, the labor contracts, um, are coming up this year and, you know, we're going to have some headwinds come this summer. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I mean, aside from the obvious with supply chain congestion and that issue that we've just been stuck in and on a time loop on what other, um, what else is on the horizon that the drainage community is looking out for right now? I know that longshoreman contract over in SoCal is a huge one. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to see this year. And I have a feeling it's just give them whatever they want and let's get to the next cycle and figure out how to make it better. Cause really it's uh, you know, they've got the power right now. So, you know, in the short term, I think, I think you just need to try to, to get through that without any disruption, but in the long, in the long run, we, we need to be more efficient and we need some automation or um, you know, the, the country's going to get crippled because people might start tamping back their spending slightly and buying a little bit less if we get back to normal. But I just think this uh, this onslaught of cargo is is going to continue um, for years. So so automation is going to be the key, um, but we need to get past this uh, this labor cycle. I, I agree, and I mean with that that labor cycle, right? Is this? Do you see this, or are you worried about the fact that the organization of uh, the drayage drivers, the drayage people, seems to be taking a little bit of hold? We talked to some people that refer to each other as brothers and sisters already, sure. which would start to starts to go into that rhetoric of of some some decent organization going on. Do you see that as something happening, and is that a positive or potentially a negative? I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I, what we see from a lot of drivers, I mean, we have company drivers, we have owner operators, but a lot of these guys, they want to run their own small business. Yeah. They, they want to decide when, when they're going to work and when they're going to take off. They want that flexibility. Um, so I, I don't see that really happening, um, you know, in many markets around the country. I, I'm, I'm sure there's opportunities for them to band together and maybe have protests when there's not enough, um, you know, efficiency at the ports or the lines are too long or something's not going right. Um, but I, I think going to, you know, the next step of all company drivers and all unionized is just, it's not happening. Wow. You know, it, the only, the only scary thing about all this is, you know, you mentioned the steamship lines being foreign entities and, you know, they had some really nice Christmas bonuses I heard about, especially at a, at a Costco, you know, couldn't they do that because of record revenues. So it, yeah. you know, when you have parties that aren't necessarily as motivated as, as we are here in the United States yeah. to get this stuff flowing better because they're making a lot of money off of it, it makes it even more challenging because it's hard to go like, hey, I don't, I'm making too much money over here, isn't it, Brian? Yeah. How do, how do we get them to the table? Yeah. Like, that's the hardest part, right? Because... You know, it's not like we're going to drive down to Long Beach and, and go meet with a lot of these these people like you yeah. have to go to Europe and Asia. And do they really care? Well, the other thing, too, Brian, is I find myself kind of at, a, at odds with myself is like, oh, God, I'm glad things are maybe going to clean up. But then at the same time, if they clean up too quickly, does that do we lose momentum and becoming more efficient and, and just get smacked in the head again when this happens or another thing happens? Does Do we lose momentum towards efficiencies on automation if it cleans up too quick? I'm uh, almost 100% sure that's how it'll shake out, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and that's that's discouraging. That's that's the.
Well, Brian, we've all everyone's got issues at the port going on in 2022. It's going to be no different. If they need the help of Port X Logistics, where should I send them to? Uh, PortXLogistics.com or uh, visit us on LinkedIn, um, and we would be happy to consult with you on your drayage, transload, and trucking needs. All right, and my cool. supply chain prediction for 2022 is we'll be talking to you again in the near future. Thanks for joining Very us cool. today, Brian. All right, guys. Thanks so much. <laughs> Take Peace. it easy. Cool painting on his wall, too. Yeah, it really is. A nice uh, antelope or something. <laughs> I wanted to ask him about that. Well, I, you know what? Sure. The angle. So you, here's a little inside baseball for those of you who are not up at this desk with us. We have like a monitor over to the corner over here, yeah. right? And it's got these little screens. And, you know, you're looking at maybe about like six inches by, by four inches. Yeah, in, from in like our 20 feet here. away. So we can't see exactly what's in people's rooms. Like one time we thought a cello was, uh, was said, a violin. hey, that's a nice violin yeah, back there. He said, that's a bass. <laughs> yeah, we can't get a perfect look at it. But um, all right. <laughs> China, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico, AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2022, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America, Michael Vincent. Yes, you're right. ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, and you've got a unique business. You can learn more. I tell them. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com. Why do I always get the difficult part of these reads? Uh, yeah. I, 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 you couldn't even hit the hyphens. Right, let's take a look at this public service announcement. What are you doing right now? Uh, crossing the bridge. You can't do that. Uh, what do you mean? I mean, what happens if you get halfway across the bridge and a train comes from the other side? I hadn't thought about that. Well, think about it for a second. Which is right. Wow. Wow. See, it's, it's Sly Fox, he should have listened to that bird from the first place. He should have. Should have. Absolutely well, should have. Celebrating 50 years. Celebrating 50 years as an organization. Oh, it's man. Operation Lifesaver. They're back. They join us every year to tell us about rail safety for truckers, drivers, pedestrians, the distracted shift workers, whatever it may be. And joining us now is Rachel Mela. She's the executive director at Operation Lifesaver. Rachel, happy uh, 50, 50th anniversary much and thanks for having me back. I love being on the show and sharing the rail safety message. Thank you. Well, you know, we actually have another cool video here. Talk to us about what we're looking at. This is celebrating your 50th oh, anniversary. Another, it looks like right. uh, Amtrak wrapped a train for you or you wrapped a, tra a train with Amtrak. Guys, play yeah. the tape and Rachel, tell us what we're seeing. It's cool. So right now what you're seeing is a time-lapse video of the crew, the Amtrak crew at Beach Grove uh, in Indiana um, painting this commemorative train um, it's a unique train. It uh, celebrates Operation Lifesaver's 50th anniversary. And I'm going to wait for the final reveal because it, it doesn't look like an Amtrak train, but also it doesn't look like any train that you have seen on the roadways, which makes it really eye-catching, not only for passengers, but also for rail fans um, and just people who are curious. It's a visual exploration and interpretation of getting the rail safety message out uh, the rail safety messages on several different sides of the train. I just want to point this out right there. What that gentleman was doing, mm -hmm. uh, painting that curve is really a difficult, complicated thing. Um, the time lapse doesn't show it, but uh, it's a it's a really special and complicated train that we have. Um, and it's thanks to our partners at Amtrak. So really want to give them a thank you and shout out. And look at that detail and care that those guys in uh, Beach Grove are doing. 
So there is Operation Lifesaver, our sea tracks think train at the nose of the train. Yeah. It's also at the end of the train, our webpage, and wait till you see the side when it pulls out. Ooh, well, here it comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. There it Look is. Look at that. Yeah. C-Tracks, you know? Think Train. It's, it's really nicely designed. And you it know what? Some of the work, people might not be aware of this, but since your inception in 1972, collisions at railroad crossings have dropped 84%. However, in the United States, every three hours, a person or vehicle is hit by a train. So still very worthwhile to speak about this message. Tell us that don't know, in these 50 years, what is Operation Lifesaver now? Um, well, we're in 46 states around the country, including the District of Columbia, and we get our rail safety message out in each state in the community through a series of our volunteers or, who are called Operation Lifesaver Authorized Volunteers, or OLAVs, as we affectionately call them, and they work very closely with the state coordinators in their states. Anyone can request a free rail safety presentation. Um, to do that, you just go on our webpage at OLI. Org, and you can request that presentation and we'll do our best to uh, get someone out there with COVID. You know, some of the presentations are being done virtual, not, not on, um, not face to face. Yeah. So you've had tremendous ex- success over the years. And I was looking up some data there from like 1980 when I was like the 84%, I think is even dwarfed from those times as well. Yeah. But so why, what, what, why, why is there still the need for the operation uh, lifesaver? We're getting more a- automated and, and safety equipment, et cetera. Tell us the need. Well, um, every three hours, a person or a vehicle mm-hmm. is struck. And that's pretty a remarkable statistic. And it's an even higher statistic, believe it or not, at a active warning sign. So when you get to a crossing where there are lights and or gates, um, it's more than 50% of incidents occur there. Um, so people are driving around the gates. They're in a hurry. They're distracted. They're mm-hmm. trying to beat the train. They think the train is moving you know, slower than um, than it is because of the optical illusion, much like an airplane in the sky, you think it's moving much slower. Um, or you've never seen a train, so you're going to go around the gate because you've never seen a train on that uh, track, and you don't believe that it's coming. Um, so lots of lots of reasons. I also think that um, a lot of people with COVID have been doing exercise outdoors, which is fantastic. But they've been using train tracks as a, um, a like a track, literally, to walk or to run. Um, they've been going out on their snowmobiles and they've been getting hooked up on the tracks. They've been cross-country skiing or going, uh, much like Sly Fox and Birdie with the original video that you showed, they're going to that bridge or trestle and they're fishing from there. And when that train comes through, there's no room for anything other than that train on that bridge or trestle. Um, And actually being on the tracks or the bridge and trestle is trespassing because that's all private property. So not only is it dangerous, but it is illegal. You know, Rachel, I was rewatching. That. I was rewatching the Sarah Jones story um, because Rust, oh, ha- yeah. Ru- the, the Rust, oh. there was a shooting tragedy on set, and they were talking about other tragedies that happened on on set. And the one was uh, Midnight Rider, which didn't happen too far from here. It was in um, Doctor Town, Georgia, I believe, on a bridge there. And what happened is the the production people they didn't clear for filming for that day. In fact, they were told not to go film on this day, and they they went to film this little bridge, and they had a hospital bed on there for the shooting because it was like a dream sequence, right? Okay. So there, there's not a ton of crew that are on this little bridge, but they're they're rushing the train starts coming they're rushing Holy to shit. get the bed off the tracks and it ends up hitting the train and the train kills this girl named sarah jones who was a videographer on the film it's happened in like 2014 i believe it was no kidding but that quick that that's how quick these trains can can come at you and, and that optical illusion you're talking about 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. So many of our public service announcements um, are filmed, you know, on tracks, right? We have um, public service announcements that show the dangers of being on tracks and the, clarifies the optical illusions. But to do that, we get permission and work very closely with the railroads to do that. So we close, they will close a section of the track for us um, so that we can do the filming with the film crew. It is always done very safely and uh, in partnership with our rail uh, our rail partners. Yeah, so we see these things of, of trucks getting hum, hung up on the tracks, and we saw mm. the one. Uh, they're very crazy. So professional drivers, what are some of the materials and information you offer the professional drivers out there? Well, I am so glad you asked because we are working on a new public service announcement for delivery truck drivers. Um, and those are not always the large scale trucks, but what we mm-hmm. do have currently, and we'll be releasing that later this year, but what we have currently for professional drivers, um, we do have a professional driver e-learning component on our website. We also have uh, tips for professional drivers and something for everyone, not just professional drivers, but an an awareness and reminder of what the emergency notification system sign, the ENS sign is. That's that blue and white sign that is always on the pole or the cross buck at the railroad crossings with a a 10 digit number and a identification locator number. And that will connect you to the dispatch, the railroad dispatch with the location. If you see anything on the track that shouldn't be there, your truck, your vehicle, um, debris, a tree, call that number it will connect you with the dispatch and they will um, try to stop or slow down that train and alert the train crew. Um, you do that call after you get out of the vehicle and away from the tracks. Do not make that call while you're sitting in the cab of your truck. Um, so the first thing to do if you're stuck is to get out of out and away of the vehicle. Yeah, and you know, you, you have no idea how fast those things can come up on you and how yes. fast they can happen too. And you know, in those situations, and I'm glad you mentioned get out of the car before you make the call, because in those kind of situations, in those desperate moments, you may look, you don't see the train, you just call the number because you're not thinking, because normally in a normal situation, you would probably make the call in your car. So yeah, just be sure. mindful of that. Let's take a look at some of your PSAs, though we have one of them here. Let's roll the first one and now we'll talk about it. Life is a journey, and you are starting to realize what choices you have ahead. This path you are on is the road to your future. Today's decisions help you discover your tomorrow. Every decision you make, even the smallest ones, will shape your life and the person you become in ways that you can't predict. Choose wisely. See tracks, think train. Visit oli.org to learn more. Yeah, take the ear pods out, son. I got to tell you, I mean, it, yeah, getting hit a by a train point. is like the most mundane thing, is it not? And I think that's what your PSAs try to try to let people know. It's They happen when you're just texting on the phone or just not paying attention for an instant. Yeah. Well, yes, there's that. And I, I smiled because we just released that uh, PSA this week um, as college students are going back to school and campuses. Um, so that's our very newest one. But it's not just the distraction. If you noticed in there... He left the sidewalk and was going to cross yeah. the trains, you know, in an uh, in an unsafe way. He did not go to a pedestrian crossing um, where there is the gates and lights and signs and where the uh, where he did end up joining his uh, classmates at the end of the public service announcement. So he was just taking a shortcut. And that's also extremely dangerous. 
Yeah, taking the shortcut. The other thing it points out is that, you know, it's not the uh, – I was looking up the stats for you guys, and I came across some stuff that I thought was interesting because as Amer- as as people, we think of the, the these crazy things that kills, like guns and all this other yeah. kind of stuff, right? But it is that shortcut distraction stuff that winds up being the most deadly type of stuff and, and just thinking, well, they're train trucks. I see them every day. No big deal. Well, we have another example mm-hmm. of that. Here's another PSA. Let's Let's take a look at this one. Hi, honey. Hi, Mel. How are the kids? They're great. Where are you? Are you close? We're half an hour out. Don't worry, we'll be there in time. Okay, great. The kids can't wait to see you. Well, we're excited to see them too. Oh no, we just pulled up to a railroad crossing. We don't have time to wait. Mom, Dad? Always respect the rails. Make safe choices around tracks and trains. Well, Rachel, it's a good thing the reaction time of the subjects of these two PSAs were, were pretty good. The reaction of the people <laughs> yeah, in them. They got some reflexes. Um, you know what I found interesting, though, was I was looking at this and I was like, well, when do most of these accidents occur? Be You know, the, you would think that they would happen where the, the gates are coming down or maybe where they're not coming down. It turns out it's kind of a it's an even split, right? So it can happen at the uh, the mark crossings with lights and everything and all the blaring sound. But it can also it happens just as often at at the uh, the, the lesser crossings. That is correct. I think it's actually slightly more at the um, the crossings that have the advance warning signs, the gates and the lights. Um, I think it's slightly slightly more than fifty percent. But in that public service announcement, you know, the the couple had a sense of urgency. They want to see their daughter, their grandchildren. They didn't see a train coming. They're impatient. They, you know, and uh, they thought they could beat it. Um, and the gate was clearly down, and we heard the 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 bells and we saw the lights um and they had a they had a fortunate outcome not everyone is that fortunate yeah unbelievable I, why do you think it is that it's at the at the gates that come down with the lights is because i i don't understand why that would be is it because so you're not trying to beat it to? trying to beat the train i don't yeah. know yeah yeah you're trying to beat the train you you have a i think in today's world we want um there's an expectation that we move quickly that we do things quickly you know, you heard the the daughter um, saying, you know, can't wait for you to get here. The kids are excited. You know, they're excited. They're going to a party. They're going to pick up a cake. You know, they were still a half an hour away. They yeah. don't want to let anyone down. Um, so I think we feel a lot of pressure and put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And as the driver indicated, he didn't see a train. Um, so I'm just going to pass, right? Just like when you're driving in your car and you're on a curve and, uh, Someone behind you will pass. Well, someone behind me usually does try to pass me, but, um, you know, and they do it on a curve. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm really, you know, I'm going 70. I'm going way above the speed limit and they're still going to pass me on a curve. (laughs) You know, you have to think, too, like the Venn diagram of people who try to go around railroad crossings or try to beat the train and the people who try to jump drawbridges as as they go up has to has to there has to be a lot of overlap there. Oh, there's a strong correlation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, is, I, yeah. Do, I mean, like, it, yeah, uh, gotta be. Just jump in the drawbridge. Just jump in the yeah. drawbridge. Well, Rachel, I how do people about those? How those do people connect with you? Now we need to have Operation Drawbridge Saver on. Yes, we do. Um, but in the meantime, how do people connect with you to uh, to learn more about Operation Lifesaver? Well, they can visit us on our webpage at oli.org. I'm also on LinkedIn as Rachel Molly, the executive director, and I would encourage everyone to follow us on social media. Operation Lifesaver. We have all the public service announcements that you aired and even more. Uh, We have games geared towards children, resources for parents and teachers, professional drivers, 
drivers, young drivers getting their first driver's license. Um, so we have a, a lot of great information there, um, all available for free to the public. Again, that's oli.org. And I hope everyone will join us in celebrating the organization's 50th year. We're really excited and proud about that. And our train that you showed is going to be going around the country uh, to different stations. So look out for it. We Very will. Cool. Rachel, thank you so much. And we'll yeah. have you back on for Rail Safety Week in September. Take care and have a great, great. day. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rachel. Guys, let's hear one more message from Sly Fox. Is there any safe way that I can play around trains? Well, actually, there is one way to play safely around trains. Yeah, so listen to that bird and that fox. Now, Michael Vincent, set the table for this one. We, uh, you know, we got musical with John Brewer and we, yeah. yourself and myself for the Christmas show. And apparently, I hear that there's a sequel song. Tell me about it. Yeah, so uh, John wanted to do something cool, and he uh, wrote a parody song called the Perfect Supply Chain Song. He sent Perfect it to me, and uh, I worked on it for a bit. We put it together, tweaked some of the uh, the lyrics and that type of stuff. But yeah, I wanted to kind of wrap up the year in the supply chain with a with a song. All so. right, music video Pretty drop, cool. world premiere clip from a perfect supply chain. The, the perfect, perfect supply, supply chain, chain song. song. All right, roll the tape. It was all that I could do to keep from crying. Everyone began to feel the strain But people kept on buying Buying No, they never, ever heard about supply chain You don't have to call me Michael Vincent And you don't have to call me Kevin Hill you don't have to call me Duna anymore Even though my transportation budget shot to hell And all the grocery store shelves were empty We all just kept working through the pain And the people kept on buying, buying no, they never even asked about supply chain. Oh, hey, go, great huh? stuff by, Thank by you, brother. you and John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the music video? I thought the video was the best part of it, to that tell was, you the truth. That was you in your younger days, wasn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, that was me, actually. Uh, that was me driving truck in the 70s. <laughs> Can't wait until that. We'll put a whole album out by the end of the year. But Absolutely. Uh, in the meantime, let's get to a little good news, bad news before we send you home. Bad news and good news. There it is. Hope they're okay. All right, good news. <laughs> it's a brave new world for many of us. Now work remotely from anywhere yeah. within reason, right? A lot of people yeah, can work remote. Right. Sure. Not yeah. us, but a lot of people Nomadic can. Nomadic lifestyle, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I guess we could work remote. It's, it's more fun to do the show in person. I think so. Yeah. Well, you maybe want to get a nice shipping container office there. Remember when those were all the rage shipping container offices or maybe a gym or a houses, a, yeah, a bungalow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe you yeah, don't have any room absolutely. left in your house. You've been trapped in your house for two freaking years now. You're like, maybe I should put a container in the backyard. Or, you know what's a crazy stat that I heard? Huh. I heard that under 29, like 64% of, of, of adolescents, young adults under 29, still live at home. 
Really? So, in America. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I guess because of finance and all that stuff. So maybe yeah, you need sucks. a shipping container to stick your kid in so they just get out of the house and you're sick of looking at them. Yeah, if you can um, find one. Take a look at some of these designs, too. These are some, these are oh, some cool. pretty cool-looking shipping container homes. Are they're they cool. not? Oh, they're very cool. You know, there was one point in our early uh, days as a company where we were thinking how badass it would be to have a uh, shipping container headquarters. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a few bad things about them. For one, mm. you're, you're, they're, they're mostly cosmetic, right? So it looks yeah. like, oh, great solution was cut windows in. But when you start putting insulation, you got to put spray foam and all those different things in there. It doesn't become as economical as you may think <laughs> you might it think. would. Well, <laughs> here's the bad news. Kylie McCarthy, she's the founder and CEO of Marina Jean Capital. She says it isn't as cheap as you think it will be. And Cube Living CEO, when asked how difficult sourcing containers for homes has been since the container shortage, she replied, terrible. Prices have gone up. They've doubled, tripled, quadrupled. So here it is. You want a shipping container home, and you go to a shipping container home building company, some of them will not be getting that for you anymore. They've pivoted to having modular build kits because the cost of the homes have soared so much. So if you're looking for a shipping container home, not the best time to buy it, but there's modular solutions out there. So you go get a single wide. <laughs> That's what you is have that, to Is that do. what you're doing? That's what you got to do. <laughs> Make it, okay, I got you. Here's some good news, my friend. You're Jake Gillian Hall in Night Stalker, and you made a career out of taking horrific crash scene pictures, yeah. right? You've got a badass iPhone with a great a camera on it, Great right? movie, too. So you're doing it. Oh, yeah, absolutely Night it Stalker. is. And, and the TV show was awesome, too. But here's Wait, the bad news, man. Show? Yeah, it used to be. Yeah, Night Stalker was a TV show. That movie's from a TV show. It's made out of, yeah. No way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When man. was the TV show from? Oh, man. Dude, I'm old. So 70s, probably? Oh, really? Is that oh. what that clip was from in the Supply Chain song? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, listen, but here's the bad news, man. You're in, you're in you're Wisconsin, right? And now there's a new law in Wisconsin with CDL Life reports that uh, sets up penalties for drivers who whip out their phones like you like to do and take photos of crash scenes, my friend. Like you can't do that law. stuff. It's a rubbernecking law. In December 2021, the governor, uh, Tony Evers, signed into a law, a bill making it illegal to use your phones within 500 feet of an accident. Really? 500 feet. Dude, you pull it out, 10 grand, nine months in jail. You have to go take a safe driving course as well. I don't know what that has to do with using your phone, but you may have to take a safe driving course and one to 200 hours of community service. So, <laughs> for taking judge, a picture of a crash. Judge no, well, you don't even have to be taking a picture. We could do, be doing selfies, but if we're yeah. in 500 feet, you're in trouble, bro. That's a wild, 100 to 200 hours of community service, nine months. Like, this would be the, the judge throwing the book at you, though. Oh, you're getting hit by a was like some a like whole, was the law was the yeah. guy was Tony Evers was the, was Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers was he like stuck behind some rubberneckers or I something? I think he was behind that couple that went from that train. I think he was. He was. <laughs> somebody he was, like, was taking yeah. pictures and he got he was late. I got to make this into a law. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You I think it's a good know. law though? You you into it? You think rubberneckers should be? Or I mean, like what? What's the big deal? If rubberneckers, what? Uh-huh. Like, do you think it's? Are you do you support this law? No, I do not support this. Yeah, law. I don't really either. I, I think there should be <laughs> privacy laws of taking gore and stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, 500 feet and you got to take a driving course? I don't understand that. Yeah, who measures that? I don't know. I don't know. Tape measure. <laughs> All right. Well, here's some bad news. You're driving southbound on 35 in Georgetown, Texas, when, bam, something smashes into your grill. Holy mackerel. What was it? Who could it be, you ask yourself? <laughs> nice. Well, it turns out it was Mr. Owl finding out how many licks it takes to get to the center Ooh. of your grill. 
However, there's, there's good news. There it is. It turns been? out the owl is alive. Now, it's really tough to tell if, like, an owl surprised or not. That's the owl that was terrorizing me last year, dude. Well, Officer Granberry and Sergeant Cochran, they were able to remove this owl successfully. And uh, their tweet says, and he or she, beautiful, regardless, was uh, initially a bit confused, but it flew off alive and well. So that owl <laughs> flew right into the front. They ripped it out, and it's uh, back out there in the wild. Um, you ever hit an owl or a bird while driving? No. Uh, well, I've hit birds, yes, and, yeah. I've, and deer, and I ran over an alligator once. No, so what uh, did this owl do that was terrorizing you? That's what I was just, I was out walking my dog. It was early in the evening. Just, yeah. just sun just went down. It's just kind of, and it just, it came down. And maybe it was going after my dog and then realized I was there. But it, it came down and just, I mean, inches from my head. Came now, down. And it terrorized my family because it was up in the trees like every other night, hooing. And you can't sleep through that, man. That, that stuff's loud. They are loud. Well, a couple things. So first of all, how did you get rid of it? Or did I didn't. You I didn't. There was actually two, and they kind of moved on. I haven't seen them in months. So when I lived in, uh, when I was living in Southie, there was this bird that we called Hitchcock, and I think that oh, she okay. had a nest of like recently hatched birds because, and yeah. we had a dog with us. So whenever I'd walk my dog, my wife or I would, this bird we called Hitchcock for one summer, it would just like harass you as you walk down the street. It would chase you like was off it like the block. a raven or something? Why'd you call it no, Hitchcock? No, because it, it, it was like a bird. You know, he did the birds. The birds, yeah. Yeah, the raven yeah. was Edgar Allan Poe. Well, yeah, but they were blackbirds, the birds, weren't they? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar Hitchcock, you could have called him. Edgar, anyways, but eventually, I think then once the birds grew up, like, it took off. Because I didn't we're see it, or someone got sick of it and just took a shot. Okay. <laughs> we're, off, we're off the rails. Let me bring it back with All this. Right. Bad news, dude. You've got a Jack Russell Whippet. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's the whole bad news that's right bad there. News. Can you imagine a Jack Russell Whippet cross dog? There is a Jack Russell Whippet fan who is <laughs> livid right now. Which is <laughs> there is. Millie, the Jack Russell Whippet uh, cross mix, obviously, there, got off her leash near the mudflats in Haven't Hampshire. You know the mudflats. Well, sure, over and in the UK over there. That's right. Yeah, I and lost the my tide, context. <laughs> the tide was rising and the dog was trapped. A couple and other despite things. the best efforts of police, firefighters, and the Coast Guards, could not get this dog off the mudflats. Tide's well, coming okay, in. Okay, so here's the thing, though. A Jack Russell... It, it, it's got off her leash, right? Yeah. So they are already escape artists to begin with. Jack yeah. Russell's, they don't like to be tied down. They'll escape no. from your backyard. And then you crossed it with a whippet that's like lightning fast. And yeah, exactly. And you're asking for danger. That's why I'm saying that's a bad yeah. news. So right there's there. no hope for Millie, is there? <laughs> no, there's no hope for Millie. Except, except Chris Taylor, man. Quick thinking Chris Taylor. He's a drone pilot. He was thinking with his stomach, my friend. And after checking, he, he thought to just check with the civil, civil aviation authorities with their regulations and all that kind of stuff and check the maximum takeoff weight for his drones and all that other kind of stuff. Then he found some people on the beach that happened to have some sausages from yeah. Aldi's. I believe it says they were from Aldi's. Sure. Got her to cook up a few. They tied it to the drone with a string, and uh, they led that. They, they pulled that jack out of there. They, they let him out there with the sausage, kind of leading with a carrot. There's some useful drone delivery right there. So they <laughs> tied the sausage. You said they cooked the sausage? Yeah, apparently the they took the was time to on cook the it. Huh? Let the Jack Russell sweat it out as you cook up a beautiful sausage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, you know. You said so. The aviation authority said that this drone could carry one sausage, but this is in was this the UK? Where was it? I'm imagining it was in the UK. Yeah. Okay, so this isn't like a giant German bratwurst or something. Right. This is just a sausage. It was just a sausage. It wasn't even bangers and mash. It was just a sausage. Maybe that was, was like just a banger. Anyways, you can find me on Twitter at Timothy Duder. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be this week. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>